Good morning, everybody. Sorry it's cold in here. We came in yesterday and turned the heat on to 70, and then Nick came in this morning and saw that 70 wasn't enough, so he turned it on to 80, and it's gone from 57 to 58. So, and if you're feeling toasty right now, give it an hour, you'll probably be sweating, it'll probably be 60 degrees, and we won't know what to do with ourselves. Um, I just want to say thanks to Nick for caring for our church last week while we were away uh, and by away, I mean on my couch. Um, Saturday at 11 a.m., I fell asleep. And Sunday at 11 a.m., I woke up and, um, and, uh, and literally was only waking up because people were texting me about the news about First Church and Christ Church. And uh, I figured that was a good time to get up off the couch and begin to talk with people. And so Nat was like, are you going to take an at-home test? I was like, what do I need to take an at-home test for? I have COVID. Look, uh, these are the symptoms of COVID. This is me for the last 24 hours. I have COVID. I mean, I don't, there's no need for a test. I'm good. And, uh, and it ran its course. And really by Monday, I felt better. But thanks to, thanks to everybody who called or texted and checked on us, to the people who brought us some food or contraband, much appreciated. We felt very cared for. It was wonderful. Um, you know, I think about the people who had OG COVID, like original style COVID, and I'm like, those are the real like survivors in our culture. Like people have been like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, dude, I laid on the couch and watched football for a day. Like this was not a bad gig. Like, but OG COVID folks, God bless them. And even our church, as you pray this week, pray for Rochelle, um, who is our missing amen corner today. But she let us know yesterday, but she has had quite a bout of COVID this week and was even in the hospital for a couple of days. So Pray for her. Pray also for Juliana, who had her grandmother and uh, pass away, who lived in Montana. And so Juliana had to fly out this weekend to be with family. And uh, I know that she would appreciate your prayers as well. And just by, by way of that, let me just say that um, if you don't know my phone number, the, the church phone number, which rolls to my phone, is on the website and on everything. Like, if you get COVID, please let us know. Like, if you have a death in your family, let us know. Uh, if you just need something, let us know. If you have a job interview or a big test or whatever. Like, Drew texted us last week and said, won't be there tomorrow morning or this morning. I can't remember when it was. I was in a sleep fog. Uh, but he was like, you know, I'm not going to be there. Please pray for me. That's our privilege. Like, that's, that's the privilege of a, being a pastor is I get to pray for you and teach you the Bible. And so uh, we're going to start a short, short series today. Uh, I think it'll probably be three weeks, could be four, um, called Dear Church. And I'll tell you why, because lots of change is coming. Uh, if we're still warm at the end, I'm going to allow a few moments for q and I'm going to try to probably say I don't know to all the questions that you're going to ask about church mergers and stuff like that. Um, but let me just tell you kind of lo- lots of changes about to come. I think about Spencer Johnson's book, Who Moved My Cheese? Has anybody ever read Who Moved My Cheese? It's literally sold millions of copies. If you go to Barnes & Noble, it's one of the main books on personal growth and leadership. Uh, it looks at four characters, two mice, two humans who are looking in this huge maze for their relocated cheese. It's a modern sort of light parable. My wife is laughing under her mask, uh, talking about uh, how change is inevitable in life, and we have to learn to adapt to it or, um, or we get run over by it. And Helen Keller once said, and I love this, life is either a daring adventure or it's nothing. 
to keep our faces toward change and behave like free spirits in the presence of fate is strength undefeatable. Helen Keller was blind and, uh, and, de- and deaf and also a follower of Jesus, and I think that's a powerful quote. It's much easier to walk through, see life as a daring adventure, when we remember that we belong to God, that we belong to the church, and that, we are, uh, that we're dear to God, like that we're dear to God. And I think we get that we belong to God. I think we get that God is over us. But I think sometimes it's easy to forget that we matter to God. But the things that matter to us matter very fiercely to him. And the truth is that all of us are about to change. All of us in the room, all of us who are watching online, all the people who are part of Christ Church, life's about to change for us. The truth is for those people right over there at 10 Green Street, life's about to change for them. We walked in a moment late this morning because we went over and met with some of their people and introduced ourselves this morning. Uh, really, the gospel trajectory for the history of our neighborhood is about to change, if we really think about it. Like, and that's really crazy. Uh, that's really, really crazy. Uh, a lot of things are about to change for a lot of people, but here's another truth that is that we are dear to God. Colossians 1, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and he's going to, these first few verses, 15 through 20, are probably a first century church hymn. So if you were sitting in a first century church, these words, these first five, six verses would actually be a hymn they would be singing, much like we were singing hymns this morning. And then in verses 21 through 23, he's going to sort of unpack what is true in light of that. Now he, Jesus, this is the hymn part is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And, uh, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's so funny, like watching politicians and doctors and military people and all of that on the news and how they think that the entire world hinges on them. What Paul says to the church at Colossae is that actually all of history is hanging on Jesus, that Jesus is the one who spoke all of history into existence, and Jesus is the one who's holding it together, not presidents, not economists, not academics, not military people, not anybody but Jesus. Jesus is the head of all things, and in Jesus, all things hold together. Verse 18, and Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the first. I think I just I cut out for a moment. We'll see what that does. And he is the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, let me stop there and just say, so everything we believe as Christians, that the world's just broken. The world's broken. When we see uh, environmental brokenness, that's because of sin. When we see brokenness in life, that's because of sin. Anytime you see brokenness in the world, it's because of sin. And Jesus, Paul tells us here, is not only holding all things together. He's not just before all things and over all things and holding all things together. Paul would also tell us that Jesus is over the church and Jesus is reconciling people to himself But on top of that, Jesus is also fixing all the broken things and making all the sad things untrue. 
That's gospel work. It's not just that Jesus saves our souls and beams us up to heaven like a southern tent revival. It's that Jesus is taking all the broken things in the world and he's restoring them and reconciling them to God as they were always meant to be. And part of being a Christian in the world doesn't mean just that we go to church and act religious. It means that we are ministers of reconciliation. We are the first fruits. We're the ones saying, hey, look, look what God has done in our hearts. He wants to do that in your heart and in our community and in our world. And he wants to take all the broken things and reconcile those things to himself. Verse 21. And you who were once alienated, y'all is what he's saying, you guys, and you guys who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you all holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you all continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, that you all heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so we are ministers of reconciliation. We are painting a picture, living a picture of what God wants to do in the world. Now today, as we go into this Dear Church series, I just want to answer three questions. The first question I want us to answer is, whose church is the church? That's the first thing I want us to talk to to really quickly today. One, whose church is the church? Paul tells us here that Jesus is the head of the church. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body. Jesus is the pastor of the church, the capital P pastor of the church, including this church. Jesus is the head of the big C church. Jesus is the head of a local church. So the Bible would say that I'm not the pastor of this church. I'm what's called an under shepherd, that Jesus is the chief shepherd of Christ Church Charlestown, and I get to be the under shepherd. I work for the main shepherd doing what he says. So Jesus is the pastor of a local church or it's not a church. If Jesus isn't the pastor of this, then it's not a church. Now churches become things that are not churches. Let me tell you what happens. Any talk of church has to start with Jesus. When a church begins to think it is the pastor, it has become a personality cult. Anybody ever seen a church that became a personality cult? We've seen a lot of those. They usually come on TV. Or they're on weird radio stations. We've seen that. But it's easy to pick on those cartoon versions. It's very easy to make church about following a pastor. But when a church becomes about the pastor and not Jesus, it's a personality cult. Uh, sometimes a church will get focused on the people in the church and not Jesus. When a church becomes about the people and not Jesus, then it becomes a social club. We gather to see each other. We like each other. We're not much different than a dinner club or a, a group in the community who gets together and has fun. When a church becomes about its mission and not about Jesus, then it becomes a service organization, not much different than the Boys and Girls Club or the Y or the Kennedy Center or some other organization here in our neighborhood. As important as the mission is to bring Charlestown together around the gospel, the head of Christ Church Charlestown is not the mission. The head is Jesus. When a church gets about its mission, it becomes a service organization. 
It's not a parish. I love parishes. I love that our neighborhood is surrounded on two sides by water and a highway on the other side. Like, I know what Christchurch Charlestown, who Christchurch Charlestown is intended to serve. It's people living in the 02129 zip code. This is our parish. But the focus is not the parish. When a focus of a church becomes a parish, then it just becomes something that bleeds in with the neighborhood. It just becomes a community. And finally, a church is not about a building. Any talk of church has to be about Jesus. It's not a building. When it becomes about a building, it becomes an activity hub. It just becomes an activity hub. That's all it is. Listen, in three weeks, there's not going to be a service there on Sunday morning. But there will be things that go on there during the week. There will be AA. There will be turn it around. There will be things. But for the moment, that's not going to be a church. That is going to be an activity hub. And that's okay. Jesus has to be the head of a church. It's Jesus or it's nothing. The thing that first identifies a church is Jesus. The Bible says it's his bride, it's his body, it's his church. Second question, what is a church? And really the better question is not so much what is a church as much as who is a church because a church is not a what, it is a who. Broadly, a church is the true believers in the death and resurrection of Jesus, those surrendered to him and following him, across all times and across all places. That is called the church universal. Theologians call all the people who have come to trust Christ across all times and all places is called the church universal. When people are talking about that, usually they will capitalize that C. I think that's a good thing. Every true believer in Jesus, it makes up the church universal. But also, uh, there are local churches, and locally, and this is what we tend to think of, this is when we talk about, oh, we're gathered as a church this morning, this is the lowercase c church, we're gathered as a church this morning, this is a group of followers of Jesus in a time and place, gathering for worship, gathering for worship, scattering for mission, scattering for witness, we gather for worship and community, and we scatter for witness and mission. So we think it's so true, it's so important, that that's what we name the church. What we are supposed to do, created to do as a church, is so important that we name the church that. We're here to gather and worship Christ. We're here to gather as a community, which is a church. And we are to scatter into Charlestown and beyond. The mission of our church, the objective for any church, is built into the name of our church. We think it's that important. A church is a group of followers of Jesus who are gathering for worship and community and scattering for witness. Local churches are living organisms. They are bodies. They can be healthy and unhealthy. How many of you have ever seen a really healthy church? It's awesome, isn't it? Can I tell you that you are part of a really healthy church right now? Our church is really healthy. When people who are friends or family of ours come from other parts of the country or from other parts of the city to worship with Christ Church Charlestown, one of the first things they say when they leave is, man, I love worshiping with this group of people. It is clear that this group of people loves Jesus. They love each other. They don't just like each other. They're definitely not just tolerating each other. I've been in churches where the people are just tolerating one another. Have you ever been in one of those? Like, like man, I can't even believe i got to share the same coffee carafe with this person. I can't even stand him. Oh, to God be the glory. How great thou art. Let's read the Bible. Let's pray, right? Like, it's clear that you guys love Jesus. 
You love each other. You love this community. This is a really, really healthy church, praise God. It's Jesus' church. Churches are living organisms. They're bodies. Some churches, a lot of churches are healthy. Some churches are unhealthy. Not all churches are at equal health, just like not all bodies are at equal health. Some churches, all churches are born and all churches die. As great of a church planter as Paul was, guess what? Every church the Apostle Paul started is dead. As great a pastor as Peter was, the actual church that Peter started is no longer here. No church that anybody started in the New Testament or mentions in the New Testament still exists. There have been great pastors in church history. Great pastors in church history. And most of the pastors, the churches that they started or pastored have shut down. There are great churches in the last 200 years in the American West and the, or in, the, in, in the Western world. Great churches with historic pastors. And some of those churches have even died or have been reduced to so much less than what they once were. Great churches. But churches are bodies. They're born and they die. They grow and they atrophy. Um, but the truth is, all of them, a true church, was a people once alienated from God, now reconciled to God through Christ. A church is a body of true believers gathering for worship, scattering for witness. Third question, last, last question. I'm going to have to unpack this one just a little bit because this is important. For the next six months of our church, we've got to mentally hang very, very tightly to this next uh, question. Who is part of a church? Who is part of a church? Let me read to you verses 21 through 23 again. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Who is part of the church? Those who accept that their sin alienated them, that Christ has reconciled them, that they are declared holy and blameless, and those who persevere. That's who makes up a church. It's not perfect people. It's not religious people. It's people who can say, you know what? I was a sinner, and my sin separated me from God. And even in the midst of that, Jesus died for me against all logic. They put him in the ground, a dead man. He was there three Jewish days. On the third day, he rose from the grave. And now I believe in that because I believe in that. Somebody who makes up the church is one who has then said, and because of that, I'm holy and blameless. Not because I'm holy or blameless, but because Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has declared me so. So a Christian who's always like, man, I'm a terrible Christian. I'm the worst Christian. I barely believe I'm a horrible person. Listen, they are denying on some level who God has declared them to be. One time I was beating myself up. I'm just such a terrible Christian. I'm such a failure. I'm never going to get this together. I'm never going to believe right. Have you ever said something like that? And a friend of mine looked at me and goes, you're calling God a liar right now, and you're saying that the death of his son worked for everybody else, but it didn't work for you. You have to add something to it, to your performance. He was like, I would appreciate it if you would stop calling God a liar. And I was like, whew, 
That's good. If the death and resurrection of Jesus has made all of us holy and blameless, then the death and the resurrection of Jesus has made each of us holy and blameless. And part of being the church is not just people whose sin separated them from God, but they have been reconciled, but it's the people who will speak and live in such a way that they live as a holy and blameless people, not by performance, but by God's declaration. And then the last thing he says is, if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, the church is the people who persevere. Um, There have been times for some of you where some of you have wandered from the faith. And when you've wandered, I've prayed for you and I prayed that you would come back. And there have been times people have reached out to me and said, you're going to go after so-and-so? I was like, nope. I'm praying for him. I love him. God's got him. He'll bring him back. I'll text him. When I see him in town, I'm going to hug their neck and fist bump, whatever. Like, I love them, but they're ultimately God's child, not mine. It's Jesus' church, not mine. Jesus is going to go get them. And I've had the full confidence. There's people in our church right now who are wandering a little bit. I know the Lord's going to get them. He loves them way more than I do. Uh, And I only know that, by the way, because he's done that for me so many times. There are so many times where I was wandering and, like, had grown cold in my love for Jesus. But he never grew cold in his love for me. The church is the people who persevere. Uh, One of my mentors used to say, here's a tongue twister. He used to say, the faith that falters before the finish had a fatal flaw from the first. The faith that falters before the finish had a fatal flaw from the first. In other words, the Christians in this room are the people who are going to follow Jesus for a long time in the same direction. And I can't look into your heart and know, do you have a relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with God? God looks into our lives, and he knows. But the way that you're going to know that I'm a follower of Jesus is by God's grace, I'm going to keep doing it. And in 10 years, when we're together on a Sunday morning worshiping, you're going to go, I know my pastor is a Christian because he's still following Jesus. Perseverance is one of the perseverance of the saints as one of the marks of believers. Not just that somebody prayed a prayer or got baptized, it's that we kept journeying together. Now, let me give you four threats to good believing and to good church identification. And, uh, and I'll move through these fairly quickly. Number one, rationalism is a huge threat to good church membership, to good church identification. Rationalism that would say, this is just an organization. Listen, the church is not an organization. It's an organism. I have a really funny story that I can tell you about that later on if you would like to hear. Uh, Really funny. Not appropriate for here at all, but really, really, really funny. Like uh, one of the funniest things I ever heard somebody say one Sunday in a church. The church is an organism and not an organization. A rationalism that would say its organization strips the church of its spiritual power. Rationalism says you're born into the church, that you do the church's rights, that you die in it, but it has no power. Contrast that with the words of a martyr in Rwanda uh, in 1980 who knew that the tribe that he lived among was coming to kill him because he followed Jesus. And he wrote this on a piece of paper that they found in his house after he had been killed for his faith. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I now live by presence, lean by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until he returns, give until I drop, preach until I'll know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. That is a faith that has gotten rid of rationalism. And a church that wants to just say, you know what, the church is just what you're born into, and you do its rights, and then you die in it. Like, that is a rationalized church that has stripped away all the power. And I want to be part of something more. I want to be part of something, the fellowship of the unashamed. The second threat to good church identification is mysticism, like the second to fifth century desert mystics who loved the church universal the capital C church, they just hated the people and found them annoying and went out into the desert because they loved God so much. There was, in fact, a guy named Simon Stylites. And Simon Stylites loved God so much and was so impatient with people that for decades, literally decades of his life, he lived on top of a stick. He literally set a large pole up into the air, almost like what a higher wire, a high wire Uh, trapeze artist, right, would walk across, right? And so he goes up to the top of this thing, and he's got a little platform, and he just lives up there. And for decades, they just rope him food up to the top of this thing, and he's just there. Listen, the church, we can't be part of the church and be withdrawn from everyone else. We can't love the church universal, but not the church local. There's no such thing as the church of the beach, where it's like, I'm just going to go to the beach and I'm cool. It's me and God. We're going to do our thing. We love Nahant. Me and Jesus love Nahant. We're going to be up there. You guys do your thing in the building. I got this down here. Like, that's not how it works. There's no church of the golf course. It doesn't work where it's like just me on the golf course by myself, avoiding other people, loving God all alone. Like, we can't do that sort of mystical faith that allows us to be part of the church universal but not the church local. We have to be part of a local church. There's no church of the golf course, the lake, the beach, any of that. The third uh, threat to good church identification is individualism, which is America's great struggle. Individualism is against a biblical worldview. That's why usually when I'm reading the Bible and the words are y'all or you guys, I say you guys or you all or y'all even sometimes. The reason is because when we see you, we think it's just talking about me. Because we are the most individualistic nation that's ever lived. And the Bible is not a you book, it's a you all book. It's a community thinking people. Individualism uh, will rob us of the truth that the Bible is a community book. The gospel is a community, is good news for a community, for all the world. The church is a people. He 
is greater than we, and we is greater than me in God's economy. That's the formula. He is greater than we, and we is greater than me. And then the fourth threat is is idealism. Idealism. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I think we've got this quote. We're going to throw it up. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, um, the great German martyr, he who loves his dream of community more than the community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may have may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. Listen, the idea of Christ Church Charlestown is great. If I say close your eyes and think about Christ Church Charlestown, I hope that what you think of makes you smile. It certainly makes me smile. It really does. I love our church. Howard and I will get together sometimes, and he goes, listen, I don't go to church on Sunday because it's what I'm supposed to do. He says, I go to church on Sunday because I need those people, and I need to worship God with those people. The idea of Christ Church Charlestown is great. The truth is it takes us working and loving and extending ourselves because it's not perfect. There are some of you in the room who are very different from some others in the room. And it's worked. And that's okay. That's okay. The church is not an ideal. It's broken people reconciled to Jesus. Listen, the idea of First Church Charlestown, honestly, it's something that doesn't exist anymore. If it, if it still existed, we wouldn't be in the spot we are. And that's not to be disrespectful, but the idea of First Church is something that doesn't exist as it once did. And even on its very stage, of the last 390 years, it was never perfect. On its best days, it was never perfect. The idea of this mashup between Christ Church and First Church, this whatever it is, is the idea of it is easy. The truth is it will never be perfect. And the truth is it is going to take work and sacrifice and discomfort. There's going to be some of them who aren't like us. There's going to be some of us who aren't like some of them. Like, it's just going to take some work. It needs the care. It's going to, listen, this is important. It's going to need the care of an organ transplant because churches are bodies. What we're about to go through is going to require the care and precision and love and attention to detail of an organ transplant, of rehabbing a new limb. For both them and us, it is literally going to feel like we are grafting a new limb into the body. All right? I don't want to soft sell this. (laughs) It's going to be some work. Um, You know, people have been, this week, people have... I've hung out with people, they've been, man, aren't you so excited? Get in a building. I'm like, yeah, but churches are people. So we're getting a building, but we're also getting some people who are really hurt and they're really tired and they're part of a congregation that is not what it used to be. So while I am excited for our church and for this community about a church building, I also understand that these next few months are going to require the thoughtfulness and attention to detail of an organ transplant or rehabbing a new limb. We need to pray like it's going to take a miracle, sacrificially love like we are the miracle, and keep Jesus at the head. Idealism can have no place in any church, and especially not in ours in the weeks to come. So what do we need to do? Number one, 
maybe some people in our church need to be reborn. They need to accept the gospel and become part of the church, not the, the thing that just meets on Sundays, but part of the family of God, the people of God reconciled to Christ despite having been alienated, holy and blameless by declaration, persevering in the faith. And maybe some of you ha- have done that, but you need to get public with it and be baptized and make a declaration of that. You need to become um, part of Christ church, Christ's church, not just Christ's church. I'd love to talk with you about that. We're going to do our connection cards in a moment. If you check that first box, that would let me know that you want to do that. Number two, you may need to reframe your thinking. Uh, I know that some of you are fiercely loyal to me as your pastor, and I love that. But I want to encourage you to reframe your thinking that Jesus is your pastor, and I'm the under-shepherd. We're all following Jesus And we're doing this well when we're following him well, and we're doing this poorly when we take our eyes off of him, we begin to follow me or a logo or an idea or whatever. And then number three, finally, uh, we need, and this is important, this is the most tangible take home. We need a robust biblical membership as a church. We need a robust biblical membership as a church. Now more than ever, we need that. So on next Sunday, you know, we've never had church membership. We held off for five years because we were like, let's just see who we're going to become before we go rushing into church membership. And so next Sunday, for the first time ever, we're going to have a membership class. Um, And I'll tell you more about this in the Q&A in a moment. But uh, next week, people can become covenant members of Christ Church Charlestown and will say, if this is what it means to be part of his church, I'm in. Uh, I think you should do that, whether you do that here or not. You should be a member of some church, and, uh, and I think that that is good. And I think it's biblical. I think it's biblical to be a member of a church. Biblical membership fights rationalism, mysticism, individualism, and idealism. Now, here's the last thing I want to tell you today, and I'll pray. The antidote, I think we have a slide for this. The antidote... Bad church membership is not no church membership, but it's biblical church membership. We live in a world where we tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater when we see something done really badly, and church membership is one of those things that we have all seen done badly, right? Like, uh, the first church I worked in had over a thousand members, and I would go to lunches with the pastor, and uh, and he would be like, man, we got a thousand members. I was like, dude, there were 150 people there Sunday. Like, the FBI couldn't find 400 of those thousand people. Like, literally, like, 400 of those people, like, they may have been, like, abducted by aliens and not on planet Earth anymore. Like, who are these thousand members that you speak of? There's 150 of us on Sundays, right? The cure for bad church membership is not no church membership. The cure for bad church membership is biblical church membership. And here's the thing. Biblical church membership says Jesus is pastor. We know the mission. We're getting after it together. And in the next few weeks, we, we knew we were doing church membership on January 23rd, weeks before we knew that this was a possibility. But as we look at these things grafting together, Christ Church Charleston having a biblical church membership for those who are in is going to be really, really critical. And I can share more about that later. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you. We receive your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the, invis- the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. You are the head of the church, and you all things 
are uh, held together. All things are created for you and by you and for your glory. We love you. We want to align our lives with you, God. We don't want to be part of a lowercase c church and not be part of the capital C church. We don't want to call people to just come be part of Christ Church Charlestown. We want to call people to come be part of your capital F family, your capital C church, your capital B body. But in that, God, we want to call people in this neighborhood and around it to come be part of this church. And God, help us fulfill the mission you've given us of bringing this neighborhood together around the good news of Jesus. We love you. We bless you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.